reading of God's word, our children are dismissed for children's church. If you would please stand and as I read Psalm 100 uh, for us. Deeper thanksgiving is moving from giving thanks for God's gifts to giving thanks for God himself. Let us pray. Father, on this day that we come together for your worship as we anticipate the national holiday that's coming, we remind us that every day for the believer is Thanksgiving Day and especially the Lord's Day. Lord, make us thankful people and be pleased to use the words of the psalmist from Psalm 100 to remind us of deep thanksgiving where we thank you, O oh our God, for your many, many blessings and gifts, and we express our gratitude for who you are, for your love, for your goodness, and for your faithfulness. Bless the preacher this morning, and bless us as hearers of your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you would please open your Bibles to Psalm 100. A psalm for thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today we pause the sermon on the Gospel of Mark until next year. Uh, this message this morning and also the brief message this evening will focus on Thanksgiving. And then next week, Reverend Hilliard, as I said previously, will bring a message on sanctification. And then we enter the Advent season for the four Sundays in Advent. We'll be looking at four passages in Paul's epistles to the Romans. But this morning, let us turn to the matter of being thankful. The story behind the hymn, Now Thank We All Our God, we will sing that at the close of the service, is a story that, that I've told before, and it's worth repeating in 1637, amid the darkness of the Thirty Years' Wars, a German pastor by the name of Martin Rinkart is said to have buried between 4,000 to 5,000 townspeople in just one year. As the only pastor left, some days he would perform 40 to 50 funerals. His parish was ravaged by war, by disease and death, and just economic devastation. On one of those dark days, Pastor Rinkhart gathered his children and set them down so that they might sing at the dinner table, and he wrote these words. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things had done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. As we dive into this story in the life of Pastor Rinkhart in these 
perilous days in which he lived, his story is convicting. Unlike Grinkhart, our lives are lived in relative ease and prosperity. We should be thankful all the time, but are we? If you're like me, we often complain with the least level of difficulty in our circumstances. And we so quickly lose the perspective of God's gifts and God the giver of those gifts. While Rinkhart's story is convicting, it's also incredibly encouraging. The power of God's grace that enabled him to be thankful in, I would say, some of the most extreme and difficult circumstances is the very same power that is available for you and me today that we would be thankful in our circumstances. Psalm 100 is both convicting and encouraging. It is convicting because the perspective of the psalmist has little to do with with the circumstances of his life. He was focused on the worship of his God and God's people coming to worship with grateful hearts as if everything was great and we know everything wasn't great in the day the psalm was written. And yet it's incredibly encouraging because it shows us that we are to move to deeper thanksgiving, giving thanks for God's gift and moving to give thanks to God himself. The psalmist calls God's people in this psalm to worship. And though the occasion for this psalm is obviously formal worship like we are doing today, the corporate worship on the Lord's Day, yet we believe the Bible teaches that all of life is worship to God. We are to serve God as worshipers in every day and everything that we do. We live before Him. We live in His presence. We worship Him both corporately and individually and in a whole of life type of way. This psalm is a psalm of ascent, or you might view it as a processional psalm. In verse 2, the second part of verse 2, God's people were called to come into his presence like we have done today. We have come into God's presence here in worship. The Old Testament worshiper, as they were coming into God's presence, would sing verses 1 through 3 as they approached the temple. Then in verse 4, there the psalmist instructs God's people to to enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise, to praise his name, and that literally they would enter into the courts of the temple with thanksgiving and praise flowing off of their lips. And there would be the choir in the temple chanting, singing verses Four through five as the people came to worship. Oh, what a, what a glorious picture of worship. And the movement of the psalm takes us deeper into the reasons for joyful worship and thanksgiving. Yes, indeed, we are to be thankful for the many, many gifts that God has given us. What the Lord has done for us, verses one through three. But notice also that we are to be thankful for God's character and his attributes, who he is. In verses 4 through 5, the psalm 
even as the people were moving into the temple deeper and deeper, so our thanksgiving becomes deeper and deeper as you move from God's gifts to giving thanks for God himself. Two points today. We are to be thankful for God's gifts and thankful for God the giver. So first, thankful for God's gifts. Have you ever received an unexpected gift back when uh, I was a bit younger, my family was a bit younger, and we had small kids? An old family friend unexpectedly gave us a nice uh, financial gift, and he wrote this, thought you might need it. Yeah, (laughs) as a young family, we definitely needed it. And it was such a surprise and such a, just a wonderful, loving thing for this, this old family friend to do. We just simply could not stop giving thanks. And how much more should we not stop giving thanks to God for all of the gifts that he has given to us. We don't deserve a thing from God except judgment. And yet think of all the the wonderful gifts that God has given to his children. Before the psalmist describes the gifts, he speaks and points to the worshiper's attitude or, or, or we might say the inner disposition of the worshiper's heart. We find three imperatives in this psalm, three commands, make, serve, and come. We are to come making a joyful noise to the Lord, verse 1. This is out of the ESV, and so I'm convinced that the ESV translation is a Presbyterian translation. And this is why. Other translations translate verse 1 like this. Shout to the Lord. Presbyterians don't shout. We make a joyful noise. The disposition of one's heart should be jubilant, overflowing with joy as we come into the presence of the Lord, giving thanks from deep down in our heart. And then secondly, serve in verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. A joyful noise comes from a glad heart. When my heart is glad, I whistle. And it's, it's that, that melody coming from deep down inside, that, that song or that whistle from a heart that is glad in the Lord. Yes, we are to come into his presence recognizing that we serve the Lord, recognizing that even coming to worship is not a right, it's a privilege, it's a function of his grace, realizing that that living each and every day before holy God as his sons and daughters is a privilege, not a right recognizing that the grace that he has shown to us should cause our hearts to well up with gladness that breaks forth in making a joyful noise, even if it's a whistle. And then the psalmist says, come, in verse 3, come into his presence with singing. This seems to be, there seems to be a link between joy, 
gladness and singing, those dispositions of the heart. The primary reason that we sing, in my judgment, is not the melody, the tune, but it's that that melody, that song of the gospel that God has worked in our hearts. It just resonates and breaks forth in singing. Singing that reflect who God is. Singing that reflects what God has done. The posture of the worshiper, both in corporate worship as well as worshiping God in, in all of life, is, is, is to reflect these three these three commands that we find in this psalm, to make a joyful noise, to serve the Lord with gladness, and to come into his presence, to come before him with singing, verse 3. So why, why should we have these, these inner dispositions, this attitude of making a joyful noise? Serving the Lord with gladness, coming into his presence with thanksgiving. It's because of what he's done. It's because of the good gifts that he has graciously given to his people. And there are three of them, three gifts or three actions that the psalmist notes. We are to be grateful for all that God has created and especially grateful for the fact that he has created man after or in his own image. Look at verse 3. He made us. He created us. He gave us life. He created us and gave us life that we might have a personal relationship with him. And then we find also in verse 3 that we are his. Not only has he created us, but he owns us. He has bought us. We are his. Now, in one sense, all men are his. All of his creation is his, but I believe the psalmist here is referring to the redeemed covenant people of the Lord. Think of the overarching story, the meta-narrative of, of the Bible. It is about God gathering his people out of sinful humanity and redeeming them and loving them toward Jesus Christ and bringing them to be his own. I'm just reminded of in Exodus 19, God brought Israel out of bondage in Egypt as his treasured possession. If you ever have a down day, just turn to Exodus 19 and read those words that you, that we are God's treasured possession. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Then verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are His. Reason to give thanks. And then the third action is that of shepherding. God made us and He redeemed us and He shepherds us. We are His people, verse 3, and the sheep of His pasture. So, so I might ask ask a question, do we need shepherding? Philip Keller, once a shepherd himself, wrote a book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, and he relates uh, four surprising things about sheep. 
before a sheep can lie down, he must be free of all fear. He must be free of friction with other sheep. He must be free from flies and other parasites. And he must be free of hunger. And I would ask you to take those four things and just apply them to us, the sheep of his pasture. We may not deal with flies and other parasites, but we sure deal with sin. <laughs> Giving thanks like Ringhart in, in such a death, hopeless situation in his day is only possible because he recognized that he had a shepherd who was caring for him and his family even in the midst of utter despair. And God not only cares for us like a shepherd, he is our shepherd. We read about God being our shepherd in Psalm 95, in Psalm 23, in John chapter 10. And I just want to read Psalm 23. And as I read Psalm 23, what I would ask you to do is to, is to think about walking through a valley, a dark valley, a deep valley with all kinds of places for wild animals and dangers to lurk around and hide. Just, just think about Ringhart's life when he was there in the midst of all of this death and, and the ravages of war. Think about your life as you and I have needs. And think about God our shepherd being there always for us, shepherding us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd wrote this psalm who desperately needed a shepherd. And he had a shepherd in God. The psalm points to Jesus ultimately as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd in John 10. I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Our good shepherd cares for us and meets our needs. He laid down his life that we might lie down in green pastures in peace. Psalmist calls the worshiper to contemplate the works, the gifts of God. He made us. He redeemed us. He shepherds us. Surely, these are profound reasons for which we give thanks. But the movement of the psalm even goes deeper into thanksgiving. It's considering the giver himself. The family friend that I mentioned earlier that gave us that unexpected gift when we were much younger and in much greater need of such a gift. It was his nature to give. He was just a giver. 
And here we see God is the ultimate giver. It is his nature. It's who he is. We find three actions in verse, that the three actions that we've just looked at in verse 3 really flow out of God's character and attributes that we find in verse 5, where the psalmist tells us that God is good, that God is loving, that God is faithful. First, God is good, verse 5. It, when you think about it, this is reason enough to give thanks to God for who he is. Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. And when we think of God's goodness, we often think of James 1 and verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God's goodness is defined in this way. His disposition to deal generously and benevolently with all his creation. Even the atheist experiences God's goodness and God's common grace. And the atheist does not credit God for it. How sad. God is a giver. And how much more should we, his covenant people, those who have his special love, give thanks for his goodness. And then secondly, God is loving. The psalmist speaks of God's love being steadfast and enduring. It, it never ends. It is important to say, I love you. Renee keeps telling me that. I need to hear you say, I love you. So I love you. But I suggest to you that that love is chiefly demonstrated by being loving, by demonstrating love. Look at the way the Bible talks about love. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In Romans 5, 8, but God shows or God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think of the passage that Dan read from the last part of Romans chapter 8, the very last few verses of that chapter. Now in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God demonstrates his love for us. And then thirdly, God is faithful. Verse 5. This, this attribute is directly related to God's actions in caring for his people, his sheep that were mentioned in verse 3. God, God's faithfulness is described in this way. His, his utter reliability, firmness, constancy of his character, commands and promises, his determined steadfast loyalty towards his people and his covenant. 
we read about God's faithfulness in passages like Lamentation chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. It's, it's really amazing to me that the, many of the scriptures that I have read even this morning speak of God's love, God's faithfulness, and God's mercy. And here's another one. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And then another passage that just reminds us of God's faithfulness, where Paul in 2 Timothy 2 says this, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. We are often faithless people. It is an occasion for much thanksgiving that God does not base his faithfulness towards us on our faithfulness towards him. Even when we are faithless, Paul says, our God remains utterly faithful. As we come before God in worship, both in corporate worship as we're doing now, but also in all of life worship, we are to be thankful for God's gifts, verses 1 through 3. And that should move us to being even more deeply thankful for who God is, verses 4 through 5. Well, I might just ask, uh, what, what led Martin Rinkhart to write such a hymn of thanksgiving to God in the midst of such horrible circumstances. It was as if the Rinkhart's whole world was collapsing around him. And just not to make matters worse, but to finish out the story, the next year, Rinkhart's wife died. The number of daily funerals continued at that pace that we spoke about. 40 to 50 a day. Rinkhart had every reason to despair, every reason to give up, burn out, be angry at God, and be angry with everybody else that was around him. He could not avoid his circumstances. He was in the midst of them, and we cannot avoid our circumstances, can we? Yet his life, even his hymn that we will sing in just a moment, reflects gratitude we should be just astounded at such gratitude coming from a man that was in such a desperate situation but that's God's grace isn't it and I believe this God's grace was represented in Rinkhart's life because Rinkhart looked beyond his circumstances to God who provided these beautiful gifts and even more, to God the giver himself. And I would suggest to you that that is what you do as well, to look beyond our circumstances to God's gracious gifts, deeper to God the gracious giver. As a nation, we observe one day out of the year 
as a day of thanksgiving, and rightly so. I'm grateful for Thanksgiving Day here in our country. But for the covenant people, for you and me, for those who have been gathered by the Lord unto himself every day is to be a day of giving thanks for God's gracious gifts and giving thanks for God the gracious giver. Psalm 100 encourages us to do both of these things in giving thanks. And as we follow the movement of Psalm 100, giving thanks for God's gifts and going deeper into worship, giving thanks for God himself, I believe that thanksgiving will be more and more expressed in our lives every day and in every circumstance. Deeper thanksgiving is moving not ignoring the circumstances, but in the midst of the circumstances, moving from giving thanks for God's gifts to giving thanks for God the giver himself. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for your gifts. And oh God, we are grateful for you, the giver. By your grace, oh Lord, make us to focus not on the circumstances, though we cannot avoid them. Give us grace and wisdom and guidance in the midst of them, but cause our heart and our mind to be stayed upon you. The gracious gifts that you give undeserving people like us. And the fact that by nature you are a giver. May we be thankful people in Jesus' name. Amen.